Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Oh my goodness. The stuff that goes on. I, I, I just I know I've told you guys before just how crazy it is in my computer world, just because of how nervous I get every time. Every time that I'm <clears throat> I'm on here, and sure enough, like I got on again, and things are missing. Things are missing. Files are gone. I don't know where they are. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. I checked the main drive where I also copy them all, and they're all there. So that part's good. But I just, I just, you know, I don't do any. I don't change anything. I don't touch it. And then like. It's just weird to open it up and like I suddenly only have 14 episodes recorded and I know I'm on episode 32, so I don't know. And Bob's over here laughing because I literally have five pages of notes for today's episode, five pages, which is a lot. That's a lot. And he's laughing because he thinks I'm going to be done in the norm. I think I'm going to be done. Sorry. I know we're both the same guy, but. I think I'm going to be done in a normal amount of time. And, and he's like, no way. I've seen you go, you know, an hour on two two pages of notes. And now you got five pages. But we'll move along quickly. It's, it's you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just a story. I'm just telling a story. As well as making a few notes. All right. We are in Exodus chapter 18. We are cruising along. <laughs> We're going to start with verse 13. The next day, oh, wait, yeah, yeah, that's a very important phrase, right? Because that's a time issue, and you know we're going to break that one down. Okay. Mo- <laughs> Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for his people, he said, what is this that you are doing for your people? Why do you sit? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? And Moses answered him and said, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses's father-in-law replied, what are you doing? What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you only to wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle this alone. Listen to me, and I will give you some advice. That uh, give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Teach them His His decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. They will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. 
They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So, that's, a, I mean, that's, uh, that's an amazing, you know, uh, short, it's really, an, it's, it's a short bit of verses, but it's an amazing piece of, of advice and a really pretty dynamic opportunity for, for leadership understanding and, and for uh, principles that work, that God, that God enc- encourages, that the kingdom encourages. You know, a lot of times people, people who are um, hurt by the church and the, quote, organization of church will... Uh, in some way, kind of rebel, right? They whether they leave the church or not, but they talk about like, like uh, they they're not for the organization. And at some level, it's like, well, it's uh, it almost sounds like they're for absolute chaos, right? No organization. But that's not the that's not the point. Uh, at least that's not one of the points of this. I think the the point of all this is. Everything shouldn't depend on one person. Everything shouldn't land on one person's decision. And that anyone who's going to lead needs to be able to trust people around them, not micromanage them or however you want to call it, uh, not double check all all of their decision making, not step in and change the decision that they made, but instead use instruction and communication and relationship in order to in order to bring about common principles that aren't based on the leader but are based on the kingdom. And I do think that there are many, many churches that make a government around principles, and I'm not saying that they did this on purpose, but in essence, the principles that they follow are tied back to a denomination, tied back to a, uh, you know, a, a uh, organizational chart that was developed. And again, I'm not saying that they purposely went out and said, okay, let's do something against the kingdom. They did something that they thought would work, and it probably does. But in the end, people aren't drawn to the organization. Are, are, sorry, yeah, sorry. How did I want to say that, Bob? In the end, people are drawn to the organization, not to the kingdom. And then when they step away, they get hurt. They they start having issues and they step away. They step away thinking they're stepping away from the kingdom. They think, oh, the, you know, God is, is this hierarchy. God is... is bad you know is he hurts people he doesn't care about people and that is not the kingdom so whatever what it, uh, i know that this passage has been used by hierarchical systems non-community systems to prove that a hierarchy needs to exist you got the thousands the hundreds and the fifties and the tens and and everybody's responsible and all the difficult ones go to moses moses is the top of the heap you need somebody at the top in order to make the you know the final decisions, the big decisions need to rest on one man. That's not the purpose of this organization. That is not the way that this is written in in the languages that it, that it started in. Now it is the way it's translated, and it is the way that that uh, currently Western most of the Western Church has interpreted it. It it it, 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 it interpreted it. 
That was a great word, by the way. I, I, I don't know how that came out, but I thought that was funny. I just went with it. Now, uh, now, yeah, let's just break it down. Let's just break it down. But I, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to set that out clearly that it is easy to read this and think, oh, God likes a triangle. Everything lands on Moses. And that is not what he sets up. That's not, that's not the purpose. The purpose is community. And we will, you will see that clearly when we, when we take our time and read through these, these words that are written. All right, the next day. What does that mean? Well, it means the next day, Bob. It means after the celebration with Jethro where he gave his sacrifices to God and, and he interacted with the elders, which that celebration, uh, and then you know he took all the training. Then the next day. But that's not what that phrase means. I do understand that it is what it sounds like in the English. I get that. And I know that there are those who preach it as though the next day, it's not what happened. It indicates the next, the, the day after a calendar event or celebration or national religious holidays. So this could have been weeks later. It's, it's, the, it's the next event that occurred after that celebration, and it could have been weeks. Jethro was, was living and moving with uh, Moses. He was interacting with life the way Moses interacts with life. He was observing, observing the people. He was seeing the progress that they have made coming out of slavery, the, the, the cultural shift that was going on on a mass scale as people who were slaves and enslaved for years are now able to walk free and their their you know concept of life is changing i mean one of the main concepts of a, of a slave is right just give me enough to get by and one of the main concepts of the kingdom is generosity so you have a king that wants to be generous and you have a people who are just wanting to get by it's it's honestly it's difficult it's difficult for a slave to receive generosity because they they immediately think I don't I don't need all this I don't need all this let me give it away now now here here's the thing right it gets twisted because generosity is I can give this away I can give it away and you can but if you're giving it away from a slave mentality it's it's different than when you're giving it away from a generous mentality and and that's where the enemy comes in and steals because he's always out to kill, steal, and destroy. He steals the principle of the kingdom, and he runs it. He runs it into his kingdom. He takes the concept of generosity, and he he steals that that concept with you only. You don't need all this. You don't need all this. And I I, you know, if you know me, you know I love my mom. My mom grew up, you know, in a, in a depression with. 18 siblings and you know step real and and adopted it's it was you know it was it was a crazy time in life for her she learned to do without and she could do without and there were times that she would just give stuff away in our house she would just give it away because she didn't need it. it 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 was it was difficult for her to to have abundance and she you know my dad was somebody who didn't you know he grew up with just his brother 
and his mom and dad. And although they were conservative and they didn't live extravagantly, he was he grew up in a in a you know with the principle that you provide all you possibly can for your spouse. And he would he would provide for my mom and and then he would get extravagant. And I remember this one Christmas. He wanted to get her a fur coat. Not it, it was it was an extravagant gift. He wanted to get her one. Well, she did not want this fur coat. She did not want it. And she told him, "Do not get me a fur coat." But my dad wanted her to have a fur coat because he was he was not a, you know a wealthy man. He was a hard working man. He was a blue collar worker. He painted lines in parking lots, and I mean. It was hard labor, slinging five-gallon buckets of paint and moving the machines and loading the truck and unloading the truck and driving to the job. He was self-employed. He worked hard, and he wanted his wife to look amazing. He he wanted he he just adored her, and she was she is a beautiful woman. He, at this you know at the at this recording, even in her past seventies. <laughs> past 80s, past 70s. She's a beautiful woman. So he wanted her to have this fur coat and she did not want this fur coat. And, you know, he had convinced her to try on these fur coats and she did and she found one she liked, but she was like, do not get me that fur coat. Do not get me that fur coat. Well, what did you know? You know, and I know my dad bought the fur coat and the, you know, he waited to the end because he passed out the presents to me and my sister and we'd go around and around and around and and then he handed my mom this box and she looked at him with those eyes that said, this better not be what I think it is. And my dad had that grimace, not that grimace, that, that twinkle in his eye like, I did it anyways. <laughs> oh, man. It was, uh, it was quite the thing. It really was quite the thing. I, I remember I was confused, equally confused and scared like I knew that they were mad at each other but I couldn't figure out why like it's a fur coat and it was pretty and it wasn't full length or anything it was it was a modest fur coat it wasn't fox or mink it was you know whatever it was it was something other than that uh but you know I think I think ultimately she wore it I think she might have wore it 10 times in her life in her life she wore it and then uh, it hung in the closet. It just hung there and hung there and hung there. And we ended up with it. And then it was stolen during an open house. One of the houses we were selling, it was we we had it hanging in a closet. Uh, we had a, a lot of things had already been packed up, and there was just a few things in the side closet that you know was literally in a public hallway. Like we we just didn't think about it and. Uh, yeah, we came back after the open house on that weekend, and it was gone. And uh, there's not much you could do because we didn't have any sort of security or even like a, a doorbell uh, security or whatever. It just gone. But it was quite the story. Oh, <laughs> and Bob's like, and we're 15 minutes in, and you haven't got past the first phrase of the story. <laughs> I know, but I'm telling stories. Okay. Oh, man. This is bad. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Where was I? Oh, because slavery, slave. one of the slave mentalities is that it's, it's hard. You, you can do without. And that was 
why sometimes my mom would just give stuff away. She had trouble sometimes looking at her things, all the things that the Lord had provided that my, in essence, my dad had paid for. And she knew what her sisters and brothers were going through. And she was like, I just can't, I can't. And she'd give it away. My dad would come home and things would be missing. Where's that? Where's the crock pot? Oh, I gave that away. Where's the, where's the stereo? That was, that was another one. Where's the stereo back in the day, right? Uh, consoles, three, you know, three or four consoles, the cassette, the eight track, the, the record, the speakers. Nope. All gone. Where, where's, where's the stereo? Oh, I gave it away. (laughs) We don't need it. We hardly ever listen to it. Well, you know, (laughs) we ended up having to get it. We got another one instead, right? (laughs) It's just, oh, glory. I had a great life. I love my childhood. So Jethro's living amongst these people. He's watching, walking out with them, their progress. He's listening to their stories. He's also drawing all he can from Moses, as much training as possible regarding Yahweh. How God is a God of love, how he's always good, how he doesn't require behavior for blessing, how he's always going to be there regardless of, of how you behave. And Moses, of course, is also trying to understand how to lead like God and not like Pharaoh, how to lead as a, as, uh, from, as a leader of love, how to lead as a leader of relationship and not like the way he was trained to lead as a Pharaoh and lead through a hierarchical system, a non-community system. He, and, and, you know, so he and Jethro are having, I'm sure, multiple conversations and Jethro is learning as much as Moses is so he can return to Midian and bring the true God, the true Yahweh, to those who he has, he has been, their priest. And he's been a tribal father amongst the Midianites. And Moses must have been really enjoying a friend who understands the dual role of tribal leader and head, in essence, head theological trainer. It, it, uh, it had to be fascinating uh, it's it's one of those things where in leadership, the longer you're in leadership, the less and less true friends you have. I, I can't I can't say it any other way. It's not that people aren't friendly or kind. It's just the nature of the role. People um, generally get really uncomfortable when the person that they call leader, pastor, priest, rabbi, bishop, elder, teacher, when the person that they look up to is completely open and honest and they start to see things in them that they don't admire. It's not that they can't, you know, it's it's a weird hybrid of authenticity and, and being who you really are and whether or not people can really follow people who are who they really are. It's And, and when you're in that role of leadership, uh, you realize that everyone has access to your life, and do you really want to show everybody everything? And I don't think any of us want to do that. So leaders don't want to do that either. But they, they, you know, they are in a role where they are constantly being watched, and so you naturally, I know, I do this as a leader. You guard certain parts of your life, and you only. You find yourself only being truly open around certain people, and sometimes they're. You know, it's it's just it's just a beautiful thing. I'll tell you, there are a few people 
where I can go into their home or be around them and totally be myself. And it's not that I'm diff I'm I'm hiding or keeping a dark side. It's that I don't have to guard it. I don't have to guard things because there's just some things I don't want everybody knowing. And in the world of the internet and and the crazy algorithms that track you and and you know tell everybody everything that you're doing it's it's even uh more interesting uh because now uh, a lot of times people really craft the way that they look and the way that they come across and then when you meet them you realize wait a minute like they are truly internet you know uh personalities and then there's the real personality and i know some uh some well-known uh, people uh, who like are worship leaders and stuff at, at very in, you know huge huge church. And my daughter just got to know them because uh, she was a barista where they always got their coffee, and she was like, "They are like, she, like she's this particular girl was like seems so open and honest on you know on her social media things, and then when you meet her in person, she doesn't like want to talk to anybody. She just just not open and not conversational with... Every, no, I'm sure she is with certain people, not with everyone. But on, on the Instagram post and on the you know Facebook post and, and all that stuff, she looks like and sounds like she's super open to everybody. Anyways, it's just interesting. It's an interesting conundrum. And I have no doubt that Moses was enjoying Jethro being there because Jethro knew him for 40 years. In the wilderness, and now Jethro is seeing him both as leader and and tribal trainer and priest, and <clears throat> Moses was doing it all, and Jethro was enjoying all the things that was going on, and they enjoyed, I think, a really deep sense of friendship and connection. So, in verse thirteen, it says, uh, "You know, the next day Moses took his seat as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning to evening." So Moses took his seat as judge for the people, and they stood around him all day. Now, the phrase took seat, took his seat, means this, that this is a place and a role. It's not, it's not one or the other. It's both. He, it was a literal place, but it was also a role that he had. He was judge. He was a teacher. He was a leader. And he went, he went to a place where, where people could be seen People could be heard where he could be seen and he could be heard and and the people could interact with him. Now, uh, it says that, uh, where is it? Verse, verse, they stood there from morning to evening. So he was there all day. Now, the oral teachings in the, in the Jewish history says that, that the day would kind of break down like this. Moses would arrive... Many people would just come and follow him, especially in, in the morning. Remember, they don't, I mean, they, they have chores. They have things they have to do. They have livestock they have to keep, tra- uh, you know, keep connected to. But generally speaking, nobody really has a job at this point. Uh, it's not that they, you know, so, so it, it seems as though oral, oral traditions would indicate. Many people would come in the morning and they would listen because he would teach he would teach and speak to the leaders. And then uh, when he was done teaching, many of the general public would go home 
and the leaders would come and they would interact with Moses. So Moses would <clears throat> kind of have a, uh, we'll call it a small group. I, I, it could be 150 people that were there as leaders. And he would interact with all the problems that they were having. And they would, he would speak with them and he'd work through their issues. And he would, he was, he was a, you know, a judge. And then, uh, after all of that was taken care of, then general public would get a chance to bring their cases to Moses. And they would stand around out of honor or in honor of Moses and all the leaders. So the general public would just stand. And they would stand all day from morning to night. And Moses would judge and interact with the leadership. And then also he's, he's also trying to help them understand how to lead out of a non, you know, out of a kingdom principle. And he's trying to figure it out as well. And they had more questions because they're used to and have been trained that in a role as leader, like they had a they had to be in the bottom line. They had to play politics. They had to they had to interact with Moses in a way differently, right? Than what they were trained to do. They they didn't need Moses to like them in order to gain favor. They just needed to be a community. And this was hard work. And it takes a long time. If you've ever had a relational uh, leadership role, you you spend a lot of time talking. This is why, you know, I know for me, a lot of pastors that I interacted with and been a part of in their churches, they are not relational leadership because they don't want meetings. I, I literally, from the pulpit, I've heard preachers that and pastors that I've worked with say things like their best day in the office is when no one else comes in. They don't want to talk to people. It's bizarre to me, but that's, you know, they're, they're quote, the executive pastor, and yet they don't want to shepherd anybody, right? It's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre to me. But Moses is trying to teach the leadership how to be leaders in this new principle, and Jethro is watching all of this. And in verse 14, he's basically confused He says, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and judge while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? He's he's confused by how inefficient this former government is. Moses is operating as a leader, and, 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 and Jethro's like, listen, as a leader, you need to be concerned about the people. The people that you're you're leading, the people that you are serving. They're standing around all day because they want to honor and and uh, you know respect you, and that's fine. But you, as a leader, need to be concerned about them. Now, that's that's a principle of kingdom leadership that a lot of leadership don't, here in the in the United States, anyways, don't they don't get. They don't operate from that. They they at some level would look at the people standing around all day and say, well, of course they should because they need to honor me. Because I'm, have you seen the title after my name? Whatever that title might be. I'm the leader. Uh, they, they should respect me. They should honor me. And if they don't honor me, then they have a problem. They're either offended or they're hurt. And either way, it's their problem. It's not my problem. This is a role that God gave me. <laughs> I was called to this ministry. And they need to respect that. It's it's a bizarre thing, but but Jethro's first round of interaction with Moses is you need to be concerned about the people. Why do you do this to them all day? 
Why are you alone doing this all day? So Moses explains in verse 15, Moses explains to his father-in-law what's going on. And I suppose at some level, when he's explaining it, it's starting to, like the logic is starting to fall apart, right? This this to me comes across like, uh, like when, yeah, when you ask a child, so what were you thinking when you did this? And they start to explain it to you and you can see them getting more confused as to why they did it while they're trying to explain because at the time it made sense, but now it doesn't type of thing, right? So Moses said, well, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Oh, so the people come to you because you're their connection to God. God's justice, God's love, God's, uh, you know, uh, character. They, they need to come to you because, you know, you're the only one who knows all this. <laughs> I think Moses is probably like, uh, wow, that sounded really arrogant. Uh, yeah, I guess. And then in verse 16, it says, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. I decide between the parties and, and inform them of God dis, God's dis, decrees and instructions. So again, what we see here is that his exp, explanation for the judgment, whatever that is, is also a training in God's decrees and instructions. Oh, but Bob, he hasn't got the Ten Commandments yet. I know. Which tells me he has had constant connection to God. Remember, he'd go to the tent and he would sit and listen. I mean, it was he had he he was, you know, under the cloud and by the fire. Like there was there was common communication between him and God. And the people knew that. So they'd go to him because in their mind, right, as slaves, they're thinking, we need a master. Moses is our master. We go to him, he instructs us. They don't try to go to God on their own. They should. He's right there every morning, every night with provision, every 24 hours a day in visual contact with his people. Anytime they wanted to, they, they, should, be, they should understand just by the example around them that they can talk to God. But they go to Moses, and Moses goes to God, and then he tries to explain to them what God is saying and why he's saying it and who God is and how they should interact with him. And when it says that he that it says, uh, I decide between the parties, the essence of that means that if only one of the two parties or one group showed up and the other group didn't, Moses would then go find the other people or have the other people found and brought in. So not only was it a conversation, but sometimes he would, it would basically, we would, we would call it like it would turn into a, a, a trial. Like they would, they would be like, well, I need to speak to them. I need to speak to them. And they would go get them and bring them. So he would hear all sides of the story, which again is another awesome principle of the kingdom where everything is heard. Everyone is heard from, you know, there's no partiality because, well, you showed up and the other person didn't, which was a fairly common thing uh, that, that if you showed up and the other party didn't, then the judge would just, you know, listen to you and then he'd rule or she would rule. And that would, that would be the end of it. If it was a real estate issue or a, or a, uh, you know, a food issue or a livestock issue. It was all, if the other party didn't show, 
then you literally could have the total judgment in your favor because they weren't around. Well, well, Moses was teaching them, you don't do that. Like we need every everything needs to be brought out into the open. This needs to be highly what? Conversational in everything we do. So, so Jethro expresses his concern, verse 17. What, what you're doing is not good. he's like man the the physical and emotional toll long term on you is just too much you you can't you can't expect uh you or the people to handle this the way that it's currently going the long term long-term impact of this is total destruction of your of your physical being your emotional being and them they can't stand around all day in the desert waiting for you. And then you add in travel days and more complications. I mean, it's, no, this is really bad. And so, you know, I I, uh, I probably do that more now, the older I am. I watch things and I think, oh, that's not going to work out long term. Like whether it's at a restaurant or a, or a business or for me, I'm intuitively tuned into like the relational things, right? I see, I I hear conversation and the vocabulary that vocabulary that a couple might be using with each other, and I think, ooh, nope, that is that is a bad idea. Long term, that is not gonna work. That's gonna, you know, they're gonna they're gonna end up paying for that. So he throws this out. He's like, listen to me. I'll give you some advice, and may God be with you. And what he means by God be with you, that was not that was not like a manipulative thing to throw in there. Hey, listen, the <laughs> like some sort of pro- prophetic voice. God has said to me, God is telling you, God, I I hear the voice of the Lord, and it says. Now there's lots of manipulative, quote, prophetic people that do crud like that all the time. And it's it drives me up a wall, and I don't care if they're one on one with you at the you know in the in the at the coffee shop, or at the altar, at the front of the church, or sometimes they're they're preaching from the pulpit and they'll say this is the voice of God. God says this. That's not what Jethro is doing here. I do understand why preachers like to use it like that because it allows them to be manipulative and they love to change people's behavior in order to make themselves feel better about how they're preaching because they think that they're making a difference in someone's life when they're actually not. But here Jethro is saying, you don't have to take my idea. That's what he means by God be with you. This is this is to- totally up to you, Moses. I, I think long term you're going to wipe, you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to wear out the people. And this this whole governmental system you got going on here is going to end up collapsing under the weight of what it is. But honestly, I'm just going to give you some advice, and you decide. This is you're the leader. He's showing humility in that phrase. Uh, God be with you. And he lays out a new plan. He goes, "You don't take my idea, but this is it. You should focus on teaching about God." And being the people's leader, you should help. That that's what your focus should be, and you should divide the authority and the people so that everybody benefits, instead of everybody being worn out. 
by waiting around and standing all day. And I'm pretty sure the more you teach, the more questions are going to come up and the longer these teachings are going to get. And pretty soon you're not going to be able to judge anything. And, and as legal disputes rise up, you're going to end up with more uh, victims. And you're going to end up with more desperate people. Because victim mentality, slave mentalities love to scream about fairness and justice and reparations. And you're just going to end up being consumed by all of this. You have got to release responsibility. And you, and you can do that with my idea. Break, let's, let's select some people. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decree and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people. And then he lays out the, the qualifications. Men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring the every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. And if you do this, God and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. He's like, listen, let's just find some really good people. Let's let, and this is Jethro's idea. This is what this is why he's saying you can decide. But my this is my idea. I would come up with four basic qualities and four levels of help. Uh, people who have all four of these qualities will get thousands. People who get three of these qualities will get hundreds. People who only have a couple of these qualities will get fifties. And people who only have one of the main qualities would only would oversee tens. But they just, they need to be people from amongst the people, not just the elders. You don't just, you don't just give it to them, give them responsibility because they have a title, right? How many businesses have been ruined because somebody's been called a manager? Well, because they've been here long enough and they've been here longer than anyone else. So I made them a manager. If they're not management material, don't put them in the role. That's, that's basically what Jethro's saying. If they're not, if they're not a pastor, don't call them one. Ooh, Bob, that hurt. Well, it's true. If they're not, you're just going to hurt. You're going to hurt everybody. The person you're calling a pastor who isn't a pastor is going to feel frustrated because they're they're being expected to shepherd people when they're not a shepherd. And the people who go to them for shepherding is going to be like, well, they just tell me, you know, to stop it. Well, that's, you know, that's like an apostle's approach to counseling. <laughs> just stop it. Move on. Anyways, we can get into that some other day. I need to move on. Bob's like, I told you you wouldn't be done. I know. I, it's going to be. Anyways. So the, f- the first is capable. Capable man. P- people of accomplishment. This is a quality uh, that's considered someone who's self-motivated, not lazy. Someone who can resist the pressure of easy gain by ruling without any basic investigation, without having heard from both sides. Somebody who, you know, who who wants to who wants the honor of, of being judged, but doesn't want to do any work to figure out who actually should, you know, be judged for or against. 
They they just they just want the title. And we've all met people like that, right? That are not self-motivated, that are not men of accomplishment. And that word men is the general generic term for human. They're just not they're just not a human who can accomplish things. But they'll hang out long enough. In essence, they'll they'll collect the paycheck and do nothing. That's not not that these positions that Jethro is talking about are paid positions, but I'm just saying we would recognize that as somebody who, you know, shows up at work and uh, doesn't do anything. I met a guy like that. He literally got hired because of his race. He knew that the company was, you know, not, you know, had to, had to conform to a certain regulation of a certain ethnicity balance. And he got hired because of his, because of his race and I asked him what he did all day, and he went to the company gym. He played basketball all morning from like 8 to noon. He'd go out to lunch at the cafeteria, uh, which was provided for by the company. And then, you know, during the afternoon, he'd take a shower, he'd go to the spa, da 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 And like he literally didn't work, but he had to be there. That's not the type of quality you want. So you want somebody who's going to work. He could have worked. He could have found things to do, but he knew he didn't have to because they had to keep him on staff. These are uh, the people over over 50 would not only be capable, but also God-fearing. So these are people who uh, value God and his kingdom and won't be swayed by threats, won't be swayed by flattery, won't be swayed by bribes. That quality, along with somebody who's self-motivated, is going to be over even more people. Again, this is this is highly organized, but it's highly relational. You don't know these qualities of people unless you know these people. These are not these are not uh, a list of things that you would see necessarily like on a, in a bullet points of education, uh, experience, um, family line, uh, you know, uh, uh, titles of, of your father and grandfather. Like, no, these are these are relational qualifications. People who understand how to interact with people who aren't threatened by conflict, who don't get nervous around around people who are angry, people who don't get flattered by people who flatter them, people who look at a wealthy person and don't try to think, how can I get me some of that? And we've always met, not always, uh, many of us have met people like that that are in leadership, that are that shouldn't be there because they they are flattered. And they do give in to bribery, emotional bribery, physical bribery, uh, monetary bribery. They're just, once, once you figure out what they're willing to do uh, and do it for, and you, if you can provide that, then that's what you do to get what you want out of them. You don't want people like that being judged. And... Moses was looking for those type of people to be over 50s. And then the people over 100s not only are God-fearing and capable, but they're also, they hate dishonest gain. In other words, they despise money in that they despise the idea uh, 
of gaining money through favor in judgment. Now, that's another form of bribery. Uh, but many times, this, this was one of those things where a judge would rule in favor of the wealthiest person or the one with a business that they were most interested in getting, shall we say, invested in. And they would rule or, or cause regulations to be written in such a way that it would be in favor of the one that they want to be, we'll call it, uh, you know, in bed with. It's another form of bribery, but the people that, you know, they rule in favor of understand, hey, listen, I'm writing this regulation, but after, after this, you know, let's have a conversation. This is a, this opens that door, right? If, if someone is like this, they open the door to, we'll call it ill-gotten gains. It's improperly gotten money because they, they took advantage of information that was available to them as judge. They took advantage of a, of a connection that was available to them because they had a decision to make that if made one way, was probably you know just and righteous, but if they made it the other way, it would give them an opportunity to get rich. And there's many a politician we can go through, you know, where they they show up in D.C. having you know we'll call it uh, let's say a half five hundred thousand dollars or half million dollars in value, right, uh, between their houses and cars and et cetera. And then four years later, they leave D.C. And they're multi-millionaires. Like they're they're now worth ninety-seven million dollars. And you think, how did that happen? Well, ill-gotten gain. It's a form of favor favor and judgment in order to bribe and obtain self self value or value for yourself. And so you want people in judgment in places of judgment who who despise that that despise or hate dishonest gain. And they're going to be over hundreds of people. And then people over thousands are people who have all three of those qualities, capable, God-fearing, hate dishonest gain. Plus, they have an understanding of God through Moses' teaching. He's like, put the people there over, over thousands who spend have spent the most time understanding who God is and who the who you know what this kingdom is supposed to look like people who have spent the no, most time with you so he's like the people that relationally Moses you know best and that you believe understand God better than than most put them in charge of the most not it's Mo, Moses is not supposed to stop teaching i mean he said that right he's like uh in verse 19, you must be the people's representative before God and bring them disputes to him. Teach them, verse 20, his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men. Da, 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 da. So he's like, you still need to do what you're doing, but you need to do it with, with help so that you're not spending all this time making judgment on disputes large and small. You need to still teach everyone. So take the ones who know your teaching best as well as men of, of, of those other qualities and put them in charge of thousands. And let the people work their way through these judges and judgments. 
so that only the toughest ones. So in, at some level, we're saying Moses would be like our Supreme Court. If they worked their way through the first three rounds of judges, all of which would have been fair and honest, without bribes, without flattery, without threats, without ill-gotten gains, and they're still disputing, then you'll hear that one. But not only will you hear from the witnesses, you're going to hear from really capable, honest, God-fearing men who also interacted with all of these, these people along the way, who had multiple conversations with all parties involved along the way. And then the stress load on you will be so much lighter. And, and what will happen is the people are going to be served quicker. They're not going to feel like they were pushed off or shoved aside because, well, the sun went down and you spent the whole day teaching leadership. There's going to be more consistency because everybody that is being judged is being judged by people who have already had at some level good teaching and have good character. And one of those good characteristics, of, you know, is somebody who understands, I don't understand everything. And so if they get to a point where they're kind of stumped, they can come to Moses and, uh, you know, to the next judge up and say, listen, I, I, uh, I'm in over my head here. I need some help. So he's like, everyone's going to get more consistent in the way that they're judged. They're going to they're get dealt with quicker, which is going to make them feel more connected. They're going to be seen and heard by leadership, which will make them more community-minded. Everyone will get more work done. Everyone will, uh, will, you know, won't be standing around literally from morning to night. I just think it's a good idea, Moses, but honestly, you need to decide because maybe this is the way you want to run things. And I'll tell you that, you know, between you and me, everyone, there's a lot of preachers who prefer running it this way. They do not want to trust other people with, with multiple decisions that could impact, quote, the vision and direction of the, of the body. They don't. They don't, want, they don't want to give that kind of authority over. They want to hear everything, and, and you can deliver information directly from the top, but you cannot make a decision on your own. And there's many, many ministries and churches that run that way. But Moses took the advice of, of Jethro. And he started to share authority. And he started to take the risk. And he started to relationally discern leaders from the people, all the people. And it probably took nine to ten months before it was finished. Because verse 27, then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. Most oral traditions say that was a year after Jethro arrived. He went home. Because I think Jethro, along with Moses, and again, this comes from their friendship and their relationship, they, they did, shall we say, the relational development of all of these judges. They spent time with a new plan and, and helped people understand, we're not putting you in a role of power, we're putting you in a role of authority. Now, most people think one is equal to the other, and it's not. People in power come from a mindset of, I'm stronger than you are. I'm, I'm more powerful than you are. Therefore, I 
make the rules. But people in authority come in and say, I just happen to have a role in the life of the family and in this community where I have to make a decision. And it's a heavy decision. Like every decision impacts everybody. And they understand that authority impacts people. And they work that role. They work that role from a position of humility. And it takes a while to find people for, people, for places like that. So a year later, <clears throat> Jethro goes back. You know, he's now ready to spread the teaching of Yahweh to the Midianites. He's there to lead as a tribal leader and theological leader. But I have no doubt that this was a very sad day for Moses. And as seen here, he calls him his father-in-law. He doesn't, he, there's, there's family here. He doesn't, he doesn't take it, you know, send, send him home like a lesser person. He sends him home as family. And I'm sure it was a sad day for Jethro because, like I said, friends in leadership are hard to find. And I think Jethro and Moses, not only was there a father-in-law, father, uh, uh, you know, son-in-law family in this, I think that there was true friendship between the two men. Even though they were multiple years apart as far as age, they both had so such similar roles. And what Moses was doing was so new and so dynamic and so different than the culture of the world. And Jethro understood that and was excited by it. And the two of them, I think, really, they just really had a camaraderie that was hard to find. And I really hope that for you, regardless of who you are, in any role that you have, you have friends like Jethro and Moses. They, that if you have a father-in-law, he's somebody who you could do this with, somebody who you could partner with, somebody who you could take advice from and not feel attacked or belittled. And if you don't, just know that God understands that. And in the kingdom, in the kingdom, the relational government is one of hum, uh, humility, humbleness, humbleness and honor, one of encouragement and hope that's centered around a king that is love and joy and peace. And we're going to end there for this week on the Epic Narrative. I hope to see you again soon. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, good morning, and uh, happy to have done that. We're talking a little soft because the uh, people I'm watching are sleeping. So, anyways, hope you enjoyed the uh, 30-second episode of the Epic Narrative. Just a reminder, we are listener-supported, and uh, the opportunity to give through a giving portal is available. The link is available on every description of each episode, as well as on my website, thebobswitzer.com. And if you just want to give directly, you can do that through uh, Apple Pay or um, some other cash app that you might have. I can figure out how to get to it. But yeah, really appreciate you guys helping us out and keeping this thing going. It does. It's, it's, it's interesting how much money it takes to keep websites open and... Uh, podcast distribu distribution 
And of course, none of my wonderful staff <laughs> gets paid either. Brian has put on hundreds and hundreds of hours. Um, Anna has put in hundreds of hours. Uh, and we appre I appreciate it. I know you guys do too. So yeah, we ever uh, get all the bills paid, we will let them know that we appreciate them for sure. Uh, let's see. Yeah, leadership. Leadership that can just that can um, truly distribute authority is really unique. And I think Moses and Jethro uh, showed us that today. You can often find leaders that will distribute responsibilities, but they won't give you the authority to do anything with it. In other words, eventually uh, you can make all kinds of decisions along the way, but everything has to be finally approved by them because you actually don't have the authority to make those decisions. You can let people know what you hope happens. You can let people know what you uh, are gonna ask about, but the final decision is somebody else's. And unfortunately, that's the way most leadership works. So yeah, leadership. Moses was a very humble leader. And if you don't believe him, he'll mention it several times in his own writings. <laughs> I, don't, I don't doubt that he was humble. It's just interesting when a humble person writes it about themselves. But he definitely was willing to give people authority and did not require everything to be run by him. I mean, if, if it was set up, you know, we, we would know uh, the way he had it set up only the most difficult cases made it all the way to him. Most were dealt with at, at other levels and he trained the people on those levels to take care of things without his input. Uh, but I know many a ministry leader and pastor uh, that would not have let that happen. They would have said, yeah, uh, basically gather all the information, but before you make a final decision, give me a call. Before you make a final decision, run it by me. Uh, and that's, uh, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Um, but that's the way, that's not the way God works either though. He is one that gives us the freedom to step out and make decisions. And he, he backs us on them and he shows up as goodness shows up regardless of, uh, the results of our choices. And, uh, sometimes those results are really negative and we think he showed up and gave us those negative results, but, as you know, we've talked about that many times in the epic narrative. That's not the way we view it here. Anyways, looking forward till next week. Uh, it's going to be another fun episode. And something, something really exciting is in the work for uh, the epic narrative. And next week, I, will, uh, I should be able to give you those details. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.